microbial meat, you know, meat that is derived from fungi and derived from algae, which sounds kind of gross, but we eat mushrooms and we eat plenty of fermented foods that we love. So these kinds of things are on the horizon and they will completely overhaul the system. So those people who, for whatever reason, feel like I do about going to Acadia National Park, like I'm not willing to sacrifice going there, you know, for a hike once a week. Those people who say, I can't, I can't give up my chicken or whatever it is. Once they are part of a system where they are eating cultivated chicken and they don't have to give up a thing, the likelihood is that we will create this future that has eliminated factory farming and animal agriculture, certainly on any kind of scale. Hey there, and welcome to Rise and Thrive with me, Ella Majors. I created this high vibe podcast from a place of profound curiosity, fierce compassion, and the deep desire to connect you with the wisdom of inspirational wellness, health, fitness, and conscious leaders and change makers. Here's to discovering our blind spots and embracing life as the adventure it is. The time is now. Let's do this. Before I introduce today's guest, I've been waiting two months to share the awesome news with you. The plant-based bundle is back, but only until June 10th. So if you haven't yet, pause this podcast and head immediately to sexyfitvegan.com forward slash PBB. That stands for plant-based bundle because there are over 150 insanely valuable ebooks, guides, and courses worth $3,974.22, all for only 50 bucks. You know, I absolutely love being a part of this bundle because the feedback we get from people who snag this incredible deal is phenomenal. There are valuable resources in this bundle from so many of my fabulous friends, colleagues, and guests of this show, like Chef AJ, Plantiful Kiki, and bodybuilding champion Corinne Sutton. Plus, I decided to do something extra fun this time around. I'm psyched to be doing a giveaway, a glorious gift box with some of my favorite plant-based products, which will be shipped to the door of one person who purchases the bundle using my link. Simply use my link in the show notes and you're automatically entered. And I'll be sending an email announcing the lucky winner once the bundle closes. I encourage you to make this tiny investment in your health right now before it's too late. We're talking about a 99% discount, you guys. It's a no-brainer. Hey, hey, everyone. If you're someone who has the desire to make a positive impact in this complex world, which I know is a quality most Rise and Thrive listeners share, then I have no doubt you're going to get so much out of this eye-opening and empowering episode. Today's guest is Zoe Weil. Zoe is the co-founder and president of the Institute for Humane Education, where she created the first graduate programs in comprehensive humane education, linking human rights, environmental preservation, and animal protection, and offering a variety of programs and award-winning resources 
to help educators and changemakers bring solutionary practices to students and communities in order to effectively solve local and global challenges. Zoe is a frequent keynote speaker and has given six, yes, six, TED Talks, including her acclaimed TEDx, The World Becomes What You Teach. She's the author of seven books, including the number one Amazon bestseller, The World Becomes What We Teach, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries, Nautilus Silver Medal winner, Most Good, Least Harm, and Moonbeam Gold Medal winner, Claude and Medea. Zoe was named one of Maine Magazine's 50 independent leaders transforming their communities and the state, and is the recipient of the Unity College Women in Environmental Leadership Award. She was also a subject of the Americans Who Tell the Truth portrait series and received the Distinguished Alumni Achievement Award from the Nightingale Bamford School. She holds master's degrees from Harvard Divinity School and the University of Pennsylvania and was awarded an honorary doctorate from Valparaiso University. All right, let's do this. Hey, Zoe, thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here, Ella. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. And actually, before we came on, I hopped onto your Instagram because I feel like I have to start off this conversation with a little bragging about what a badass you are when it comes to being a vegan CrossFitter and, you know, just your skills are really awesome. And I know you just put them in just every once in a while, you'll post like ring dips and muscle ups and. No, I don't have a muscle up yet. Right. But you're working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. Well, I love that you post and you kind of share your progress and the things you're doing to get these skills. I don't have a muscle up either. And it's something that it's one of those kind of obsession things that I've got to get it. Do you feel the same way? Well, since I've been working on it for three years now, (laughs) and I am literally no closer, (laughs) I'm just getting older. You know, I'm 61 years old. and I think, am I going to run out of time where I can actually achieve this? But I haven't given up yet. I have considered whether I might want to switch my goal from a strict ring muscle up to a kipping ring muscle up, but even that I have not given up on the strict ring muscle up yet. Well, I love that. And I was wondering if you could share your relationship. This is a show about holistic health, but your relationship with exercise been how you got to be passionate about it and how, you know, veganism, like, I just love that you're representing the vegans. Thank you. Well, you know, I was a gymnast as a kid, but I had a back injury when I was 13 and I pretty much had to quit. And I was in, you know, I was a 12 year old who was in incredible shape and then not so much. I was a dancer, but not the kind of dancer where you need a ton of strength. And then there were a lot of years where like, I've always been somebody who's slender And so I kind of looked fit, even though I really wasn't fit. And then I moved to Maine 27 years ago from Philadelphia. And, you know, I got into hiking and doing more outdoor activities. And I started practicing Aikido. And so I still considered myself, you know, fit-ish, athletic-ish. But then seven and a half years ago... I had a bone scan and I was in my early fifties and I was on the verge of osteoporosis. And my mother had just had a spontaneous 
sacral fracture, meaning she was doing nothing and her sacrum Mm. fractured. And it ended her life as an independent person. And she was in terrible pain. She was in the hospital for a month after surgery. It was just, you know, an awful situation. And I thought, I don't want that to be me. I'm a tiny person. I mean, on video, you can't tell quite how small someone is, but, you know, I weigh 100 pounds. I'm 5'1". My wrists are kind of the size of a five-year-old. So I was a poster child for osteoporosis. And that's when I realized I had to shift things. I mean, already the doctors wanted to put me on osteoporosis medications, and they have a lot of side effects. I didn't want to be on them. And I can be a very disciplined, very motivated person. And so I joined a CrossFit gym and I had a bone scan a year later and I moved from the verge of osteoporosis into the osteopenia range and two more years of CrossFit and taking a bone strength supplement. And I'd moved up into the verge of normal. I'd never been on the verge of anything normal in my life. That's just not, (laughs) that's on me. But I became just so, so committed. And while I joined a CrossFit gym for medicine, I ended up just really loving it. So now I'm one of those people who's kind of like all about fitness and I wouldn't have expected that, but now like I work out all the time and I have a new thing in the last year plus, which is I do the Supernatural app in a VR headset. So, you know, it's virtual reality workout that might not sound like the most amazing thing in the world, but it is the most fun ever. Really? Okay. So I don't know about this. And I saw that on your form and I was going to ask you what that was and what kind of a workout is it? So if you were to watch me doing it, I would have an Oculus headset Uh and I would be sort of doing this with my arms and squatting and lunging and, you know, like boom, boom, but it's all body weight, right? I have no weights. It's just me but I am dripping. I am drenched in sweat. And I'm not somebody who sweats much. Like I often am not sweating after a CrossFit workout. I am drenched after this. And so there you are, you have your Oculus on, you are in one beautiful setting after another somewhere in the world and sometimes off the world. So like there are times when you're on the moon or you're on Mars and there's great music and there's coaches and these targets are coming at you and you have lightsabers and you're basically (sighs) smashing them and then you're ducking under triangles. And I know that doesn't sound like the most fun thing ever, but you just have to trust me. And I'm I'm not getting paid by Supernatural. (laughs) (laughs) They're not sponsoring you. Okay. Good to know. Now, this is what I'm always talking to, you know, clients about finding what brings you joy. And, you know, it sounds like all of these things bring you so much joy. They do. And, you know, the thing is that fitness is its own reward, right? So you just plain feel better. It's great to be strong and flexible and have endurance. And, you know, it means you can climb a bigger mountain outdoors, which is thrilling, right? You know, so, and you're generally healthier. So it's just a win, win, win. That's fantastic. How do you define 
holistic health and holistic wellness, just personally? So I don't use those terms very often, but I would say off the cuff, it's everything. So it's balance in your life. It's mindfulness. It's making sure you're out in nature. It's being a kind person and doing the most good and the least harm in your life. It's having good relationships with people. It's doing work that's meaningful. It's being of service in ways that matter to you. It's being charitable and generous and giving of yourself, not giving yourself away, but giving of yourself. And all of those pieces coming together. And obviously for me, my diet is a big part of it that I don't think about that much unless somebody asks me, right? Mm -hmm. I've been a primarily whole foods vegan for almost 34 years now. And it's my life. Mm -hmm. It's part of everything I just said. And it's making sure that my food choices reflect my values. It's not like I never cheat and eat something that isn't as healthy as it could be. I don't cheat when it comes to being vegan, but you know, I'll have that vegan ice cream cone occasionally. Right. Yeah. And the reason I was so excited to speak with you, I mean, as much as I love talking about athletics, but you know, the whole connection and purpose and impact piece of holistic health is really why you're here with me today. And it is such an important component of our well-being and the well-being of the planet. And it's interesting because I feel like my journey has really been rooted in finding my how, right? So I was seven years old when I knew my mission in life. It was to help people understand that we don't need to eat animals and understand suffering and spreading awareness. But it was like, okay, but how? How do I go about using my voice, my talents, my skills? What's my contribution here? Can you share your backstory about how you became connected with your purpose for the audience, your why, and then the how piece? Because I think this is so interesting. Oh, thank you for that question. It's a circuitous journey for me. And I'm writing this new book called The Solutionary Way. And in the book, I actually talk about this journey because I think everybody needs to find it for themselves. And so since I'm inviting people to go on the solutionary way, which is really how can your life contribute to solving challenges in the world? I was asking myself that question recently. So I did not grow up in a household where I was taught that it was my responsibility to contribute to a better world. I was brought up to have a career. And so I never really perceived myself as somebody who was going to be an activist or an advocate or a change maker or anything like that. I mean, to the degree that a career could actually contribute, sure, that would be great. But there were all these things that I loved and that I cared about. So I loved animals. When I learned about racism, I was horrified that, I mean, I was born in 1961 before the Civil Rights Act even passed. And when I was in high school and I was reading Malcolm X, and I was just so shocked by the level of structural racism that still pervaded our society. And that was then, it still exists now. So that issue really impacted me. And then I went to college and I became 
really passionate about women's rights issues and environmental issues. And then I read Peter Singer's book, Animal Liberation, and I became horrified that my life was contributing to this level of suffering. But meanwhile, I was sort of on my career path. I went to college pre-med. I you know, put that aside. I got my master's in English. I thought I'd be an English professor. I went to law school. I dropped out. I went to divinity school to study comparative world religions, thinking I'd be religious studies professor. It was just all over the place. And I didn't have an idea yet about how I could bring together these issues I was passionate about with a career. And then when I was in divinity school, I was looking for a summer job and I heard about a program at the University of Pennsylvania that offered week-long summer courses to middle school students. And I thought, well, I could do some of those. I mean, given how much of a dilettante I'd been, I knew a little bit about a lot of stuff. I could teach a lot of things in a week. And I really cared about these issues that I just mentioned. So I pitched several courses One was on animal issues, one was on environmental issues, one was on media literacy. And I ended up offering three courses that summer. And the animal issues course was the second most popular of the 60 courses offered that summer and had nothing to do with me. Obviously, they didn't know me. It was the topic. And I taught these kids what was happening to animals. We went on field trips, we went to the grocery store, and we went to the drugstore, and we went to Farm Sanctuary, which at that point was rented space in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we went to an SPCA, and we then learned about these issues. And I was trying to inspire them to try to make a difference for animals. So one boy went home that night, and he made his own homemade leaflets after learning about product testing on animals where anything from oven cleaner to personal care products are dripped into the eyes of conscious rabbits and force fed to them in quantities that kill and smeared onto the abraded skin of animals. And he wrote his own homemade leaflets. And I mean, wrote because this was in 1987. He did not have a personal computer. He came back into class the next day with a stack of leaflets that he'd written and he wanted to hand them out on the street during lunch. He'd become an activist overnight. So that was the summer I realized I could pull everything I cared about together by teaching about these important ethical issues and inspiring people to create change. So I became a humane educator. Because I cared about all of these issues, I wanted to bring them all to students. I was hired by an animal protection organization and They were very welcoming of my teaching about all animal issues and all environmental issues. I would bring human rights issues in here and there. But it wasn't until 1996 when I co-founded the Institute for Humane Education, which is the organization that I'm still president of, that I could bring it all together, that I could educate about the intersections between human rights and animal protection and environmental sustainability. And we created the first graduate programs in humane education in the country. And we currently offer them online through Antioch University. We have a doctoral program, two different master's degrees, a graduate certificate in order to help other people not have to do that circuitous journey I did, but just go straight there and become a humane educator. And we have people who are classroom teachers who do that. And then we have people who are 
educating in so many different realms, like podcasting or like writing or, you know, creating a social business, doing all different things. And we are working with schools around the world, bringing this solutionary framework to students so that they can address and solve problems in ways that do the most good and the least harm for everyone. And by everyone, I mean people, animals, and the environment. So it's a long way of saying I really lucked out in finding the place where what I cared about, what I was good at, and what I love to do all met. And so I've been a humane educator for a lot of decades now. And I feel really, really grateful that I found this path, even if it did take me a few years. We're going to take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by 22 Reboot, the most comprehensive 22-day lifestyle transformation system designed for high-performing entrepreneurs, professionals, and leaders who are making waves with their work while neglecting the one asset they can't afford to lose, their health. You can replicate your business success. You can start fresh with new relationships. You can create something from the ashes of failure and missed opportunities. But you, your body, your health, once that starts to deteriorate, that's it. There are no second chances. There is no plan B body. Without your health, you have nothing except the guarantee of premature disease and death. What if in just 22 days, you could feel freaking fantastic? What if you could completely reboot your life and health by shattering the patterns that aren't serving you? What if you could achieve holistic health and a strong, fit body for life and experience a massive surge of energy, clarity, and drive? 22 Reboot will get you there. It's the simplest, most effective path to a healthy, sustainable lifestyle you can be proud of. You don't need another diet. You don't need another expensive piece of fitness equipment. And you sure as hell don't need another fitness pro telling you to count macros or cut carbs. It's time to commit to yourself the same way you've committed to building your career and providing for others. Join the 22 Reboot revolution and experience true transformation at 22reboot.com. I literally get chills hearing you talk about that journey and the boy who became an activist overnight and how powerful and empowering this work is for you and for everybody. And I want to dive in really about this word solutionary and the intersection here. But hear me out on this question first. And I speak with a lot of people who are struggling with feelings of despair, mm. right? And even hopelessness when it comes to the problems and the injustices in the world. I mean, it's really not hard to spiral down that path, right? And feel overwhelmed with what seems to be just looking at things, a growing divide. I mean, that's kind of how, it, I don't know if it's the media and maybe you can shed some light here, but this divide between people who are going this route of love and inclusion and expanding their consciousness and approaching the world with like curiosity and openness. And then those who would seem obviously acting from a place of fear, of separateness, even hatred. And yet you've dedicated your life to showing people that there is a way to solve these problems. So can you speak to that? 
Absolutely. So I have a lot to say about this. I totally understand the despair and we are very polarized, perhaps more polarized than ever. And so much has changed for the better in my lifetime. And it's really important to remember that. So as I mentioned, I was born before the Civil Rights Act passed. It was still illegal in many states for Black and white people to get married. The thought of gay marriage was on nobody's radar. Trans rights, non-existent. Yes, we have taken steps back, but that's after many steps forward. And we have to remember that arc of change that has happened. And so that's around social and racial justice. When I was born, there were rivers and lakes on fire. We had no Clean Water Act. It was legal to dump chemicals into waterways, and the waterways were more polluted than they are now. Same with a lot of air pollution, with the exception of the wildfires. When I was born, half of all people on earth lived in extreme poverty. That percentage is about 10% now. Still way too high, but it's not 50%. When I was born, really nobody considered the rights of animals. And according to a Gallup poll, most people think animals should have rights. Now, yes, we are consuming more animals than ever because of population growth. So these things can exist simultaneously. The way I like to describe it as things can be bad and better at the same time. The fact that things are better reminds us they, that they can get better still. And it is really important that we focus on the things that are getting better. I really believe that we are on our way to clean energy and to electrifying virtually everything with clean energy. I was feeling an incredible amount of despair just five years, three years ago about climate change. I feel it's possible that we are going to address these problems because I am seeing real change now. So there are three quotes that I like to remind myself of, and they might be helpful to listeners. The first comes from the singer-songwriter Joan Baez, who said, action is the antidote to despair. These quotes are all very similar. The second one is from Greta Thunberg, who said, once we start to act, hope is everywhere. And the third one, which is my favorite, is from Professor David Orr, who's a professor at Oberlin College. And he said, hope is a verb with its sleeves rolled up. So to the degree that we are feeling despairing, just get to work. Because when you get to work and when you become a solutionary, which we can talk a little bit yes. more about what that means, you build this community of people who are dedicated to building bridges across the divides that we are facing. And doing that work is the antidote to polarization. And it's the antidote to despair. So I'll pause for a minute, let you ask me a follow-up question. Yes. Slide back into solutionary. Well, yes. And that's where I want to go next, because I remember, you know, not too long ago, I didn't know, a year, two years ago, when I first came across your work and learned this term solutionary. And I had been trying to kind of think of, you know, what am I? Is it revolutionary? 
evolutionary, you know, I just couldn't quite think of the right word that made me feel really empowered, that made sense. And when I heard that word, something just clicked and I was like, that's a badass word. Like, I want to be that one. <laughs> so yes, can you share? And it's just the way you're talking about it is just feels empowering. And those quotes make so much sense. They resonate so much. Can you share more about this word solutionary, what that actually means? Yes, thank you. And I feel the same way about the word. I did not create the word. So it's been created in a few different places by a few different people, Simon not necessarily at the exact same time, but independently. And I love the word too. Not everybody loves it. So if you're hearing this and you don't love it, that's okay. You can still be one. You don't have to embrace (laughs) the word. So a solutionary is somebody who identifies unsustainable, unjust, and inhumane systems, and then transforms those systems so that they do the most good and the least harm for people, animals, and the environment. That's the definition that we use. It's also a person who strives to make choices that do the most good and the least harm and support those systems that do that as well. So the solutionary process is, it's a vigorous process, really exciting, vigorous process, but it's a process of really understanding the systems that are creating problems and really cultivating solutionary thinking skills, which include critical thinking, systems thinking, strategic thinking, and creative thinking. And even though those aren't sequential, they do build on one another. So we cultivate critical thinking. So we really know what we're talking about. We really have the facts. And we do that not only through our own research, but also by reaching out to stakeholders who are both harmed by the problems we're seeing, but also who are benefiting from not only the problem, but the systems that support it. Because if we want to change those systems, we are going to have to work with people who may resist changes to the system because they could lose money or power or status. So we have to work with people. And I'm going to loop this right back to CrossFit and you'll see the connection. I live in a rural Maine and I belong to a CrossFit gym that has an incredible diversity not of ethnicity and not of color, because I live in rural Maine, which is a very white place, but diversity of politics and belief systems. And I joined the CrossFit gym in 2016 during the primary season for the election. And I met a lot of people who were supporting Donald Trump. And I was not supporting Donald Trump, I mean. And There was one person who actually left the gym because there were Trump supporters there. And I remember feeling really disappointed. And I said, we have this incredible opportunity to talk to people who have different beliefs than we do and to see what we can learn. And she was just out of there. Now, had she been somebody who was subject to bigotry and prejudice personally, I could totally understand. But we were not going to face retribution for being more liberal. At any rate, I found this an incredible opportunity to do solutionary thinking and to be the humane educator I claim to be and to see how could we build bridges? How could we have these conversations? And it has helped me to become 
less judgmental because there are really, really wonderful, generous people who I've met who have very different politics and beliefs than I do. And because they are human beings who I love and not just stereotypes and caricatures from social media or whatever media, I don't feel that hate. It's easy to feel hate. I'm not saying I never feel hate. I'm not saying that when I don't encounter racism and animal cruelty and people who don't care at all about the environment, that I don't feel all those things. I absolutely do. But this solutionary work tempers that by building relationships, meeting with people to learn from them, and then trying to agree upon the underlying problems. Often we just choose a side or we don't, you know, we're on a side. We're on a side either because it's how we grew up or it's the identity we have now or it's the media we consume, but we're on a side and we argue up here. We're even debating up here. We're not even looking at the underlying problem. What is that underlying problem? Can we agree about that underlying problem? And so much of the time, we can find common ground that there exists this underlying problem. Nobody wants a despoiled world. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hmm, how can I make this world full of more suffering and cruelty? Many people do create more suffering and cruelty, but that's not the intention. So what is the underlying problem? Now, I'm not saying we can ever find full agreement, but there are a lot more people that we could build bridges with to actually solve those underlying problems. And the solutionary process leads to that. So for those of you who are thinking, well, this sounds all theoretical, like how do I actually do that? Just visit our website, humaneeducation.org. We have a free guidebook called How to Be a Solutionary. I just did a one-hour webinar called How to Be a Solutionary. It's on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, How to Be a Solutionary, so while it'll pop up. And, you know, that's just a way to like learn this process and, you know, wait a year and my new book, The Solutionary Way will come out and you'll have a roadmap for this work. Oh, I can't wait for this book. I didn't even know about this book until we got on for this interview today. And it's, yes, we need this book. Get it out there. So get it out. (laughs) It'll be next spring. So you didn't quite finish. Like I feel a little undone with this CrossFit community and- Yeah. Did you talk to them? Like, did anything, what happened or nothing? Yeah, no, things happen all the time. So one person who voted for Trump in 2016 did not vote for Trump in 2020. I was proud of that. Uh, (laughs) But I find that by having these conversations, so, okay, I'll give you one example. So in 2016, during the primaries or right before the election, one Trump supporter said to me, look, if Mexico can build a wall on its southern border, why shouldn't we be able to build a wall on our southern border? And I said, Mexico has a wall with Guatemala? I didn't know about that. And he said, yep. So I went home and went online and found a bunch of photos with words on them that pretty much said what he said. Hey, if Mexico can build a wall on its southern border, and they're not racist. Why can't we build a wall? Well, these were all fake. So the wall in one of the memes that I found was actually part of the wall on our border with Mexico. And one was on the wall between Israel and the Gaza Strip. 
So there's no wall on the border between Mexico and Guatemala. It's a jungle. These were also pictures of desert walls. And so I went back and I said, hey, you know, there is no wall. And even though it has not changed his politics, it has asked of him to be more careful about what he believes and more willing to fact check and not just believe what he reads in his own siloed media. Now, this is true for uh, progressives as well. There's so much out there that needs to be fact-checked, and we all need to learn those skills. So I have found that having these conversations builds those skills among everybody. So I did make it a little bit of my goal to influence a few people in terms of how they would vote in 2020, and I had some success. Right. Those are big celebrations to be had. One thing I want to also address here, most people want to make a positive impact, right? And I feel like for the animals suffering, right, it's relatively easy. I know some people think it's difficult, but it's relatively easy to make choices that are plants versus animals, right? So we're at least know that we're not directly contributing to the suffering and death of farm animals. But you know, something that I really didn't think about much for a long time was the clothes I choose to buy or my computer or my phone or other choices. And I'm just like, well, I'm vegan, so I'm making great choices. So what are some things we can think about without going down a rabbit hole of saying, having to research every single little purchase that we make? And I don't even know if it's possible to get a computer, you know, these days that doesn't come from somewhere where there's child labor or even forced labor. What can we do as consumers to do? And this is the name of one of your many books, Most Good, Least Harm, to make these choices. And buying that book, I know would help everybody as well, but to kind of give us a little direction here. So it's a great question. We cannot fully extricate ourselves from the harms that we're complicit in because of the systems that we cannot escape in our culture and pretty much around the world at this point. So I would say that we can do two things. To the degree that we can make choices that do the most good and the least harm, we can and we should. And we also know that not everybody does me included. So yeah, I know that feeling of like, well, I'm vegan. Isn't that enough? Right. But, you know, I live 25 miles from Acadian National Park and I go there regularly to go hiking. And lots of people would say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, I am driving my car there and I have a hybrid car. I don't have an electric car that I am only plugging in using solar energy. So that has an impact. And some people would say, well, like, oh, well, don't beat yourself up about that. And I think we all need to find this sweet spot where we don't beat ourselves up and we still strive to hold ourselves more and more accountable for making choices that are MOGO, MOGO being short for most good. With that said, this is why the solutionary framework is so important because I've been teaching about the impacts on animals and on the environment from factory farming and animal agriculture for 35 plus years. And most people do not change their diet, even when they know. And that can be really frustrating. And I have come to realize 
that what is going to really change things for animals is a combination of those of us who are willing to change and then drive the creation of new products and new systems. So all of us who are vegan have driven the plant-based meats that are out there. And it's drive the environmentalists and the animal activists are driving the development of cultivated meat. So real meat with real animal cells, but without the cruelty and slaughter of animals. That's on the horizon. Microbial meat, you know, meat that is derived from fungi and derived from algae, which sounds kind of gross, but we eat mushrooms and we eat plenty of fermented foods that we love. So these kinds of things are on the horizon and they will completely overhaul the system. So those people who, for whatever reason, feel like I do about going to Acadia National Park, like I'm not willing to sacrifice going there, you know, for a hike once a week. Those people who say, I can't, I can't give up my chicken or whatever it is. Once they are part of a system where they're eating cultivated chicken and they don't have to give up a thing, the likelihood is that we will create this future that has eliminated factory farming and animal agriculture, certainly on any kind of scale. And so I would invite people to think about what choices can you make holding yourself to the highest level you can without beating yourself up? And then what role are you going to play in changing the systems and being a solutionary practically to change those systems? You put those two together. I mean, we are all going to look back one day and the way we looked back on the African slave trade or foot binding in China, and we're going to say, what were we thinking about animal agriculture and factory farming? Nobody's going to think it was okay. We're going to be horrified as a whole culture. That's what I'd say. I agree a thousand percent. And it seems to me, you know, what we're talking about here also is a shift in consciousness. Like this is so much bigger than it's about discovering blind spots, right? And then shifting what we can do and what's possible. And the way you have that framework laid out is so powerful and empowering. So thank you for the work you do. So it's world changing and human changing and just amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Ella. Well, I feel the same way about you and your work. Thank you. So if somebody's listening and they're like, this is, I'm inspired, I'm motivated. Do they start with your website? Which books? Like, tell us what kind of the steps are somebody can take to get involved and learn this material and do something. We'll definitely go to our website, humaneeducation.org. I mean, there's so much there. If you are an educator, there's a whole section for you about how to bring this to your students. If you want to create change yourself, head to the Become a Solutionary section. You can download that guidebook I mentioned. I have written a lot of books. The most recent book is actually coming out next month, and it's for tweens. It's called Claude Medea. And it's about these 12-year-olds who become clandestine activists writing wrongs in Manhattan. They go on a mystery. So if you have a tween in your life, it's a fun book. 
And then I have a book for educators called The World Becomes What We Teach and Most Good Least Harm, which you mentioned. So get on our mailing list. If you sign up to be on our mailing list, then we'll be able to stay in touch with you. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and all of those things. I have a lot of videos. I've done some different TEDx talks, so you can watch those. I feel like I'm missing something. Oh, we have a solutionary micro-credential program for educators. So if you're an educator, it's perfect for you. But if you're somebody who works in any field at all, and you're thinking, I want more of this for me, we are developing a solutionary micro-credential program for people outside of education to help them become solutionaries. It's a short program online. But again, you'll have to sign up on our website because it's not developed yet. So we'll probably be piloting it in the fall. And so we'd love to be able to support people in that way. Oh, so many opportunities. We will put those links in the show notes. Zoe, thank you again. I appreciate you so very much. Thanks for taking the time. Likewise, Ella, you take good care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Rise and Thrive with me, Ella Majors. I truly hope you found it inspiring. And if you did, please help me spread the word by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast player and by sharing the show with your friends. As you probably know by now, my life's purpose is to use my voice to make this world a more conscious and compassionate place. And your reviews and shares make a huge impact. And last, I'm getting a ton of insanely positive feedback about my short and sweet monthly newsletter called The Way, short for The Way Out is Through. I give my top five latest badass discoveries, insights, and explorations like vegan products and recipes I'm obsessed with, books and shows I'm loving, and workouts that have me fired up. Head on over to my website, ellamajors.com, to sign up and check out all the other awesome resources I have for you and projects I'm involved with, including Hogs and Kisses Farm Sanctuary, where our mission is to create the best life for farm animals while inspiring compassion for all living beings. Thanks a lot, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you.